morning. Welcome, everyone. Come on in. Have a seat. Just glad that you're with us this morning. And I see a lot of new faces out there. Uh, I hope that uh, you're, you know you're welcome here. If you're new here today, hope that you, you just uh, sense, sense our love for you because we, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're with us, and we want to be part of your life any way we can. So if there's anything that we could do for you uh, this week, uh, you can, on the back of this bulletin, all of us pastors' uh, phone numbers are on there. And don't hesitate to reach out to us, and we'll, we'll walk with you best we can. Uh, we have a couple things going on this week. Uh, we have the Summer in the Psalms. If you haven't made it out to that, it's in Washington Park, and there's just two more left. So on Wednesday nights, if you come at 530, we barbecue some meat usually, and um, it's just a good time to, to just come and bring your lawn chair at 530. There's a little program for the kids, and we're just uh, doing it for two more weeks, and then... Uh, then we'll be starting our normal summer or winter programs, Awana and uh, winter Bible studies. So if you're interested in some winter Bible studies, we've got several of them that we're going to be offering. So uh, just uh, find which one you belong in and, and uh, be a part of it. Um, also, we're looking for some new teachers. We're looking for some people that are just willing to teach. And if uh, that's you or if you, you kind of know that's you, I hope you'll just uh, be willing to step up and start letting God, God use you in that way to teach. Um, tonight at five o'clock, Pastor Mike is going to be uh, having a meeting about teaching, and uh, he just wants to to just re- recenter those of us that do teach and uh, those of you that feel like you should be teaching. Just be a time to come together and uh, hear from Pastor Mike about what it means to teach the Word of God and what it means to kind of refocus on that and recenter on that as we kind of start into the the new season. So come tonight at uh, the small gym across the hall at five o'clock if that's you. Then uh, we're, if you're a, a college student here today, um, I really want to single you out, but I'm not going to. So <laughs> if, you, if you came here and you're, you're in college, uh, we're, we're just really glad that you're with us. Uh, hope I you, hope you feel welcome here. I hope that uh, you can, uh, be, we can be your church family and you can be part of us. Um, we're going to have a lunch for you after, right after this service, just right across the hall. And uh, those of you that, uh, that uh, love these college students, please stay. Those of you in the church, uh, please come and eat lunch with these guys and just uh, help them feel welcome. We, we really want to be a ministry to the college kids in this town, and uh, we want them to be able to, f- this to be their church home. We want them to be able to feel like they, they can fit with us. And, and we, we just want to walk with you if you're a college student. We want to be part of your life in any way we can. So don't hesitate to uh, take us up on what we just said don't hesitate to ask us for help or ask us for things that, that you may need because we are here for you and we love you. So join us for lunch right after this service. And then uh, lastly, uh, we're starting a new ministry. It's called Trail Life. Uh, Trail Life is a ministry for, for uh, boys. It's a, it's a kind of a God-centered uh, outdoor ministry where these boys can come and, and learn what it means to, to uh, grow up and uh, become from a boy to a man and uh, learn about God, be discipled, and uh, do some stuff in the outdoors. Um, 
Mike Frotti back here standing up. He's uh, going to be heading that up. And we're going to have a, a meeting next Monday night. So just come here at 6 o'clock and uh, be part of that. Uh, it's just something that is going to be great for our church. Uh, let's, uh, let's stand up and worship the Lord this morning. God, we thank you that you brought us here, Lord. I pray that as we stand here, Lord, in your house, God, on our, our feet that you gave us, Lord, that we would, we would realize that you gave us everything, Lord, that you haven't left us, you haven't forsaken us, Lord, but you've brought us here to your house to worship you, to hear from you, God. And many, many have come, Lord, from different places, from hurt, from busyness, from stress, from even peril, Lord, and trauma, God. And I pray that you would now... Lord, impress upon us to quiet our minds and quiet our hearts. Put these burdens at your feet and let us worship you and hear from you today because you're here and you want us and you love us and you want to speak to us. Pray that we would. Amen. Amen. One of the things you see in Revelation is people from all tribes and all tongues gathered together to worship the Lord. And we've got just a little of that going on in our congregation this morning. We've got brothers and sisters among us that speak Spanish and some of them primarily Spanish. So we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to read a passage out of Isaiah 12 in English, and Brenda's going to lead us in the reading of it in Spanish and, and praise our Lord together in both languages. So read with me in Isaiah 12. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel.
Amen. Turn and greet one another this morning. All right, if you'll return to your places and stand, we'll sing again this morning.
seated. Good morning. Uh, this last week, my wife and I uh, had a trip. We went to um, Branson, Missouri area. We got to worship with a church last Sunday in Nixa, Missouri, one of our Baptist churches there. And then, uh, then we made our way to central Kentucky, and we also got to worship with one of the churches there on Wednesday night. And I really missed our uh, time in, in the park here. Um, if, you're, if you haven't been coming to our Wednesday nights, come on out. You'd really enjoy the ministry that we have Wednesday nights. Um, today, I just want to pray and, and, and thank God for our college students. I've got two of my own kids in college this year. Uh, that's why we went to uh, Missouri to drop off Leanne uh, at college. And we got to spend some time with our son Taylor as well. But we've got other college students here from College Heights. And some are going to Casper College. And some are going other places. I talked to uh, Jake Brooks this morning. He said, well, he, he's enrolled in college uh, going to Germany. He'll be heading out uh, this, this week, I believe. He has to be there on the 31st, he said. Some place in Germany. I, I don't speak German, but uh, it's people like Pastor Max do. So uh, anyway, Germany for Jake Let's pray for our college students. God is so good. Aren't we blessed here at College Heights? Man, that last song was just powerful. I just really, really enjoyed that. Because we know that God, in his grace, did bring us into the fold. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to lift your name on high this morning. You are a great and awesome God. You take us through the fire. You take us through trials. You take us through good times. 
You take us um, into the woods. You take us out to the lake. You take us to meet new people. And you've given us a call, a call to reach our world for Christ. Help us to be all about that, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word this morning as we preached. Just help Pastor Mike as he brings us the word. May the Holy Spirit be at work in our lives. Father, I also thank you for the offering this morning. Help us as we give, to give generously because it's for you. May you get all the glory, Lord. We just love you today. Thank you for our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, if you could come forward, we'll take the offering. Thank you.
priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak but the word of the God which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever
mas este, por cuanto permanece para siempre, tiene un sacerdocio inmutable, por lo cual puede también salvar perpetuamente a los que por él se acercan a Dios, viviendo siempre para interceder por ellos. Porque tal sumo sacerdote nos convenía, santo, inocente, sin mancha, apartado de los pecadores y hecho más sublime que los cielos, que no tiene necesidad cada día como aquellos sumos sacerdotes de ofrecer primeros sacrificios por sus propios pecados y luego por los del pueblo, porque esto lo hizo una vez para siempre, ofreciéndose a sí mismo. Porque la ley constituye sumos sacerdotes a débiles hombres, pero la palabra de juramento posterior a la ley, al Hijo, hecho perfecto para siempre. Perfecto.
Kids can go to super church, third grade and under, out those doors. Something greater, greater than everything, better than everything, more incredible than everything. Man, we should be beyond ecstatic thinking about Jesus, especially if you know him. If you know him, you should be ecstatic about him. Amen? So we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians again this morning. We're going to finish the passage we started last week. Last week we talked about the power of gospel perseverance. And we're going to talk about it again some more today because, you know, it's, it's so important today. Uh, maybe more important than ever. You know, we're living in such an era where the church is just almost dormant. 
We've almost gone to sleep. We've almost put ourselves into hibernation. We, we don't say that out loud because, you know, we're not supposed to. But, but here's the truth. I mean, when it comes to impacting our culture today, we're not having a great impact. And, and quite honestly, the reason we're not is because we're not trying. And, and I, don't, I don't mean to be terribly convicting. I, I'm just being honest. We're just not. I know that when we talk about six weeks of talking about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, that, you know, you really begin to see people go, that's not for me. That's not for me. Don't talk to me about telling others about Jesus. That's not who I am. That's not my gift. That's not my passion. It's not my responsibility. It's somebody else's. It's the pastor's responsibility, the deacon's responsibility, Sunday school teachers, whatever you want to say. But, but don't talk to me about that because it's just too hard and I'm just not going to do that. And, and honestly, it's, it's hard. It's really hard today in the world we live in to talk to people about Jesus. Uh, if you go talk to people about Jesus, many times they're going to tell you they're not interested Many times they're going to tell you, look, I'm not religious. Many times they're going to tell you, you know, I tried that once and it didn't really work for me. Uh, many, many times they're going to give you all kinds of excuses. You're going to be rejected probably more times than you're not rejected. So that's difficult. Sometimes they're just going to be hurtful to you and sometimes they're going to say things to you. And maybe within your family, if you talk about Jesus within your family, they're going to somehow ostracize you or persecute you. I mean, sometimes family's tougher than anybody else, but, but have, you, have you talked to people? And I know you have. Have you talked to people without Christ? Have you seen past the facade that they put up? And maybe at some level this is not a facade. I mean, there's just people out there that are, sometimes they're angry, sometimes they're vile, Sometimes they're weak. Sometimes they're just, you know, ensnared with this mess of sin in their life. And man, when they talk to us and how they respond to us and, and what they say about us or what they say about our Savior is just, it's just painful and nasty. And, and honestly, most of the time for us as Christians, we, we're kind of, we kind of recoil at that stuff and we don't really want to be a part of that stuff and that stuff hurts us. And so we just kind of step back as if, you know, hey, sorry, man, I tried to help you, but, but you're going to go where you go, right? Have you ever thought to look past that outward experience you have with them and ask yourself, why, what is making that person so angry? What's making that person so outwardly hurtful? Uh, what's making that person so dark? What's making that person so broken? And the truth of the matter is, is that without Christ, they have no hope. They have no hope. The Bible describes them as separate from God, without hope in this world right? And without Christ, without eternal life. So no hope for the next world. And, and it's painful. I mean, if we don't come to the place where as Christians we have a heart for people without Christ, then we're never going to talk about Jesus with anybody. And, and that's, really, that's really where 
part of the problem is for us. We, we have got to have a heart for people because they don't have Jesus. Because he's the game changer. He's the life changer. He's the hope giver. He's the one that gives security. He's the one that gives us strength. He's the one that overcomes. And so as we talk about this second part of this passage of scripture this morning, I really want you to pray, Lord, would you soften our hearts and give us a love for people that don't have Christ. Instead of being their judge, instead of being their jury, instead of, you know, trying to keep away from them because somehow they have offended us. How about we just love them? Can we pray that this morning? Let me read this passage and then we'll pray. Second Corinthians, or Second Thess- Thess- Thessalonians, sorry, beginning in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. For after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who believe, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a gift to us. Because not only does it teach us about who you are, but it, it calls us to have the same heart you have. And I'm thankful this morning, Lord God, that you love us. For those of us that are here that know Christ as Savior, you love us. And you have forgiven us of our sins. You've given us life and you live in us and you walk with us. And that's amazing and we praise you for it. But you also love the men and the women and the boys and the girls that are here who have not trusted Christ. And you long for them to believe in you. And you long for them to be set free from their sins. And you long for them to have a relationship with you that will sustain them in every step, in every turn, in every situation. I pray for them that you draw them to Christ today. And I pray that you'd give us soft hearts for our neighbors and our co-workers, our brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, that we might love them enough to point them to the hope of Jesus, that though we might be persecuted for it or find affliction in it, that Lord Jesus, we'd still love them just like you have loved us. And we pray that many people would come to know Jesus in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about this first five verses, really three through five, and, and we talked about how this church at Thessalonica is a, it's a powerful church, unlike many that we know today, unlike maybe few that we know today. A church where Paul and Silas, just as they were sharing the gospel, I mean, this is first century stuff. There's nobody sharing the gospel because Christ has just risen but Paul and Silas have gone out. They've come into Thess- Thessalonica. They've proclaimed the gospel in the synagogue for three weeks. And after three weeks, just three weeks, 
it says that many of the Jews believed, many of the God-fearing Greeks believed, many of the leading women of the city believed, and they started gathering and worshiping and sharing Christ, because that's what you do. You share the good news. When you know something good, you tell others the good stuff. And the Jews became jealous to the place where they sought to just literally arrest Paul and Silas, maybe even have them killed because of this ruckus that was happening just because people had come to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. And they had to literally send Paul and Silas away at night so they wouldn't kill them in Thessalonica. Well, that leaves this church by themselves, brand new believers, just a few weeks. They come to know Christ. Now their leaders are gone and these guys are going to have to live for Jesus. How would you like that? How would you like to be a brand new believer without any leadership, without any guidance, without anybody there to walk with you? You're just going to have yourself. You're going to have the Holy Spirit, the church gathering together, and you're called, just like we are called, to live for Jesus and tell people about Jesus. That's what they were to do. So they did. And they were, oddly enough, persecuted. If you read history, to the place where they even killed some of these believers for following Jesus. I mean, this was no casual church, but this was a church that was under fire. And so the Apostle Paul's writing to encourage them again here in this second letter. And in verse 3, he says, I give thanks to God for you because your faith is greatly enlarged and, there's, and the love for each other grows toward one another evermore. Can I just say this? If we're actually going to walk with Jesus, if we're actually going to live for Jesus, we're not going to do it without faith, and we're not going to do it without growing in love for each other because we need each other to do it. You have to walk together at a little more intimate place with other brothers and sisters doing the same thing that we are doing if we're actually going to be the church. And so there's no way to be active and to be faithful to God without growing in your faith and seeing God grow your love for one another. So that's going to happen. I think that's fantastic. But then he also says in verse 4, and we speak proudly of the churches of God of you for your perseverance and faith in the midst of your persecutions and your afflictions which you endure, which means it's happening now. They're still being afflicted. They're still being persecuted. But they have shown perseverance and faith in this persecution. And Paul says, I'm telling everybody. And we should tell everybody. Man, when you see a Christian that's actually walking by faith, persevering in their, their affliction, you should be thanking God for them and encouraging them and telling others about them because they're an example, right? That's who we should be. Sitting back, doing nothing, living for ourselves, irregardless of what God has for us, hoping that we don't have any consequences or any kind of accountability for being a Christian is not commendable, Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's flesh. That's self. That's just living in a way that doesn't in any way honor God. But these guys were honoring God and and in verse 5, we talked about the fact that this was plain indication of God's righteous judgment. And we talked about last week, it wasn't God judging these believers. It was the fact that the, their statement, their testimony, that Christ was in them and they were living for him, testified to the fact that those who were persecuting him or persecuting them actually deserved judgment. I mean, it was this crazy thing to say they're living for Jesus and coming against them actually deserves God's judgment. And, and we kind of think about that sometimes and go, you know, I, I don't know why I would want anybody to be judged by God. Well, if you're not living for Christ, 
then you won't have to worry about it because you won't in any way stand for anything. You'll be just like the ones that would persecute you if you would stand for Christ. You won't make any difference at all. But if you stand for Christ, you testify to the fact that you're actually saved, that Christ is actually in you. Do you understand? When you stand for Jesus, when you speak about Christ, I'm not just talking about overcoming and persevering against personal problems. We should. We should overcome and persevere when we have personal problems. But this whole passage is talking about speaking about Jesus, about telling people about Jesus. When you stand in your workplace and tell people about Jesus, you stand in your school and tell people about Jesus, you stand in your home and tell people about Jesus, in your neighborhood, whatever that is, and they persecute you, you are testifying to God's righteousness in saving you and the change that came with you and then testifying to God's righteousness in bringing judgment against those who persecute you because they're actually persecuting him, right? But now I want you to hear because Paul continues to encourage these believers in a way that, that sometimes we find uncomfortable. We'll just put it that way. Because in verse six it says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. Now, that should be encouraging if you're suffering persecution, that God is going to afflict those who afflict you and to repay those who are persecuting you. But our mindset sometimes is a little different. Our mindset sometimes when we are suffering for our faith in particular is not, hey, I know God's going to deal with this in his way, in his time, our mindset is, well, where is God? Right? Where is God? If God loves me, I shouldn't be persecuted. If God is just, then how is he letting this injustice happen in my life? If God really is God and he says he cares for me, why am I suffering this persecution? Isn't that the way some minds think today? Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever thought that before? And I can tell you, I know you have. I've had plenty of people tell me, where's God in my suffering? Where's God in my trials? Where's God in my persecution? I thought he loved me. Well, can I just say this before we get any farther in the scriptures? God loves you. If you're a Christian here this morning, you should never ask the question again, does God love me? He settled that at the cross. Romans 8, 32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God didn't just withhold his son from us, I mean, if he didn't keep back from us the most precious gift that he would have to give us, then why would we think he's holding back anything else from us? He's not. He's not withholding his love. He's not withholding his goodness. He's not withholding his grace. He's not withholding things. He loves us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to wonder whether God loves you. God loves you. Well, that then leaves us the question of, 
if he loves us, then why isn't he doing anything about our affliction? Right? If he really loves us, why are we still being persecuted and suffering just for being a Christian, just for speaking truth to people? Because, honestly, God can bring judgment and justice rather quickly. We have a couple of Old Testament, we have many Old Testament examples of it. One being um, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. If you remember, they were some of the first priests. Aaron was the first high priest. He was there, they were their son, his sons. And they, the Bible says they offered strange fire before the Lord in the tabernacle. And because it wasn't honoring to God, fire came out and killed them. Made an example of them. You don't play with God. You don't come to God in a way that's inappropriate. God judged them immediately. Remember some guys named Korah, Datham, and Abiram? They were three guys that opposed Moses and caused a big ruckus against Moses. And Moses prayed and, and called them all to stand before the Lord. And these guys didn't come. So Moses went out to the people where their camp, where their tents were. And Moses literally said, if I am the man chosen by God, then let God do something he's never done before. Let the ground open up and swallow up these three men and their families and all their possessions and then close. And it did. Craziness, right? I mean, you think God can't bring swift justice and swift judgment? He certainly can't. So why hasn't he for us? New Testament examples of this, of quicker judgment. We got Ananias and Sapphira. If you know your scriptures, right? They lied to Peter about the amount of money that they had sold and then brought to the Lord. And Peter said, why did you lie against the Holy Spirit? And when he said those things, both of them dropped dead right in their spot. Again, you don't, you don't get to play with God. There was a time, I think it was in Acts 12, I, I should check that again, but where Herod was, he was, people were, he was mad at some people and they came to him to try to appease him and, and he started speaking and they started yelling out, the voice of a God, not man, the voice of a God, not a man. And Herod was like, oh yeah, of course. Well, the Bible says because he didn't give glory to God, that worms developed in his body and ate him and he died. There's some great things in the Bible. Have I ever told you to read your Bible? You should read your Bible. There's some amazing things in there. Herod's one of my favorite. The worms ate him. I don't know. Anyway, kind of cool. Anyway. Sorry, get off track a little bit. It doesn't really change the fact that we go, why isn't God bringing justice when we're suffering in his name? But I want you to read here a little further because it gives us a pretty good answer because in the middle of verse 7, let me just read verse 7, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, listen now, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. When is God going to repay with affliction those who have afflicted us? When is God going to give us relief in our affliction? When Christ comes back to finish things off. And really what he's saying here in this passage of scripture is that there's never going to be a day during this life where we live for Jesus and we don't have persecution and affliction for living for Jesus. That's what this means. No matter how long we live, 
We're going to be persecuted for being so contrary and so different to the world. We are going to be persecuted. The Bible says all who desire to live in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I know that's not what we want. Most of us don't want anything to do with persecution. Personally, I don't want anything to do with persecution. I don't want to be mistreated. I don't want to be talked about. I don't want to be arrested for my faith. I don't want to be, you know, imprisoned for my faith. I don't want any of that stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are going to be persecuted if we actually live for Jesus, if we actually live in a way to speak the word of God into this world where they don't want Christ, we are going to be persecuted. And that's not going to stop until Christ returns. But that does not mean that he's not going to be with us. I mean, I want you to just read it. It's, we're not the first ones that said, Lord, why don't you end injustice? In Psalm 94, 1 through 7, it says, O oh, oh Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O oh judge of the earth. Render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O oh Lord, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O oh Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. They have said, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Man, those verses are shared in the same way over and over again in Christianity and outside of Christianity. Man, why isn't God doing something about this injustice? Why does God let this injustice go? Why does God not just fix the world? Why doesn't God just stop it all and bring judgment on the wicked? Well, that's a pretty legit question, isn't it? Have you ever asked that question? Because we should ask some questions. I mean, we have a holy God. We have a righteous God. We have a God who does not tolerate sin. We have a God who's, who's going to hold us to accountability. We have a God who, unless we stand before him holy and righteous, is going to condemn us, right? He's, he's not casual. He's God. So why in the world would God allow his people to suffer persecution and affliction? Well, let me read a passage of scripture that's critical to our understanding of who God is and how he works in this world. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. It says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Listen to that, right? Where is the promise of God's coming? He said he was coming. He hasn't shown up. Forever since, the, forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For they maintain this. It, esca it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. In other words, let me paraphrase a little bit this stuff. He's first saying, nothing, these people are claiming nothing has changed since the beginning of the world. He says, no, that's not true. There was a day when a guy named Noah lived. And the Bible says that he grieved God that he had made man. And so he told Noah to build an ark. And him and his wife and his three boys and their wives got in the ark. And then God judged 
everybody else, and they all died in the flood. So when you say nothing has changed since the beginning of the world, God says, no, no, I've shown how I deal with sin, and it's not, it's not so casual. So God has shown that he's not going to mess around with people forever. But then it says, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Men. Not only did God show how intolerant he is about sin, but now the Bible tells us that God has set a date. God knows when the judgment is going to come. Then it says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So why is God slow in bringing his final judgment? Why is God patient in bringing his final justice? Because he cares about us and he cares about those that don't know Jesus. He doesn't want anybody to perish. Guys, I I want you to hear that. When we're fussing about suffering, I want you to hear that we're the saved. We're the saved. We've been forgiven by God. We have been given eternal life by God. We have been sealed and we're secure in the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be afraid and we don't have to worry and we don't have to wonder whether God's good or not. God has shown his goodness to us. But the lost out there, the lost in here, those that haven't trusted Jesus Christ, they've already been condemned, the word says, because they haven't believed in Jesus Christ. And God's patiently waiting for them to come to him. How are they going to come to him? We have to tell them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. People don't come to know Jesus Christ unless we tell them. And so he's patiently waiting for people to come to know him because he loves them. Folks, when has it come to the place where we no longer feel compassion for the lost? The worst thing that could ever happen to our church is that we would become a hard-hearted church that doesn't care about the lost, that doesn't care about judgment, that doesn't care about God's wrath coming into this world because God cares. If God didn't care, he wouldn't have sent Jesus and he wouldn't have been patient with us. How many of you are thankful God was patient for us? patient to wait for us to come to know him, patiently draw us when we were completely rebellious against him. How many of you are thankful for that patience and still are? I can't even tell you how thankful I am for his patience today to walk with me when I fall short, to walk with me when I struggle, to walk with me when I'm selfish, to walk with me when I'm proud. And we are walking around sometimes like we are the judge like we're the jury, like we have the right to bring condemnation, like we have the right to bring judgment. The truth of the matter is, is that I don't care what lost person you've seen. 
I don't care how bad they've treated you. I don't care how vile they may be. I don't care how far from God they may be. They're no worse sinner than I am. And they're no worse sinner than you are. And we have been saved by his grace, through his patience. And hallelujah, he's patiently waiting. One day, one day, his patience will end. And yes, that's a terrifying day. Listen to what it says as we read on. Verse 8 says, Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the power of his glory. Listen, the thought of Christ coming and dealing out retribution is a terrifying thing. There's nothing on earth that can stop God. His retribution for sin is going to be swift and it's going to be true and it's going to be full. But did you catch who it's going to come against? It's coming come against those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, here's, here's the thing. We decide that there's some sins that are pretty horrible, and there are some pretty horrible sins. But the thing that is going to bring judgment against all is rebellion against God. It's rebellion against God. I don't have time to go through Romans 1 with you, but go to Romans chapter 1 sometime and begin reading in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth about God in their unrighteousness. Something like that, right? That's pretty close. They're suppressing the truth about God in their unrighteousness. In other words, they know who God is, but they don't want him. Get away from me, God. You're my maker, but I don't want you. You're the Holy One, but I don't want you. You're the Savior, but I don't want you. And God's retribution is going to come against people that have rejected God because they know who he is and because, quite honestly, man, he loves them. He loves them. He has a plan for them. He sent his son for them. And they're going to say, no, we don't want him. But here's the truth, right? Eternal life is knowing him. John chapter 17, verse 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You're not going to have eternal life unless you have a relationship with the living God. And how are you going to have that relationship? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So when you don't know God and when you won't obey the gospel, it says God gave his son to become sin on your behalf, to take the punishment you deserve and to rise again on the third day. When you reject that, there's no other way. There is no other way. So judgment and God's retribution is going to come. And again, like we read in 2 Peter, that's not what God wants. But listen to what it says as we go on. Verse 9 says, they, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, I want you to think about this as a Christian. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that because we have been saved. We have been forgiven. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not going to deal and stand in this judgment because Christ has set us free and he's paid the price. That judgment's already been meted out onto Christ 
and it does not need to be meted out on us. But the thought of God's judgment, it is terrifying, and it is humbling. Let me read some stuff about what Jesus said about God's judgment. In one specific place, he spoke about hell being a furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In another place, Jesus spoke of hell as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In Revelation 14, 9 through 11, this is Jesus dictating to John as he wrote this letter. It says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he'll be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast in his image and those who receive the mark of his name. And finally, Revelation twenty eleven through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, and another book was opened. This is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. When it speaks here about they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power, you're talking about hell. You're talking about a place where you don't get God, where you don't have his presence, where you don't have his kindness, where you don't have his love where you don't get to see his glory, where you literally, because of your rebellion against God, suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer. Because I want you to think about this because Paul is, is using these verses to encourage these faithful believers in Thessalonica. This passage isn't written so we'll hear about God's judgment another time. This passage is written for us to hear how important it is for us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, to go into this world and to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, unashamed witnesses, regardless of what people say about us, regardless of what people do to us. This is an encouragement for us to see the importance of sharing the gospel and living in a way that honors the gospel this is God's way of calling us to be mindful of the need of our world around us for us to be all that God created us to be, to live like Christ who was so mindful of our sinful state and the judgment to come that he came and gave his life for us. It's an incredible passage of scripture. But then I want you to look at the contrast between verse 9 and verse 10. In verse 9, these guys will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from God's presence and away from the glory of his power. But verse 10, when Jesus comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who believed, for our testimony to you was believed. In other words, 
the saints when he comes, the saints, they're going to glorify him. They're not going to experience his retribution. They're going to go, that's my Savior. Look at my Savior. Look how amazing he is. We've been walking by faith, but when Christ comes back, we're going to see him as he is, and we're going to know our Savior in all of his glory and how amazing it is to be his. We don't have to be afraid of this judgment. We don't have to be afraid of anything. We don't have to be afraid of standing because, man, when Christ comes, we're his, and we're secure, and we find life. Why would we not want to live for him now? Why would we not care for the lost? Do you not have loved ones who are lost? Do you not? Have you lost a loved one who didn't know Christ? And just a year ago, the man that my sister lived with for 38 years died in his sleep. 63, 64, I don't know. He wasn't much older than me. Died in his sleep without Christ, for sure. Without Christ. That's hard for me. I don't want that for anybody. I certainly don't want that for somebody I love or somebody that I care about. Because we... We find it easy to go, oh, you know, pastor's up there just preaching away again. But it doesn't really mean anything to me. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it does most assuredly mean something to the lost. They should expect us to love them enough to speak to them about Christ and to stand in a way where people see Christ in us. And this passage finishes with just this kind of sweet little prayer for us. To this end, also, we pray for you always. To what end? The end would be that faithful Christians would continue to be faithful, that we would continue to share the gospel, that we would continue to care about people in need, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. That calling that he's talking about is the calling for every single believer to share Christ in this lost world. It's not some random calling. It's not a specific calling. It's the calling that's for every single one. And you shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be, or when the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. That's for all believers. Every single one of us that names Jesus today has no excuse not to be a part of this calling. And we should have every desire to see people saved. And we should pray that God will give us the faith to walk in power as we share Christ in this world. And then it says in verse 12, so that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we talk about this kind of stuff, we're talking about a change of mind, a change of understanding. For too long, many of us have felt like God saved us for our convenience and our good only. 
Like, I'm so glad Jesus saved me. My sins are forgiven. I'm so glad Jesus saved me. God's with me. I'm so glad Jesus saved me. Now he'll take care of me. And we think that our salvation is only all about us. And quite honestly, it's a lot about us. But it's not all about us. So that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. When you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you say to him, I'm now living for your glory. My life is not about me. My life is not for me. And my life is for you above all else. And you and I have to change our mindset from this selfish, sinful view of our relationship with God to a humble view that says, no, Lord, I'm going to live for you and I'm going to share you so you'll be glorified in my life. And when we do, it says we'll be glorified with him. We'll be glorified with him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when we're serving the Lord at that level, it's a blessing beyond all blessings. Is it hard sometimes to serve Jesus sacrificially through persecution and affliction? It is. But I'll tell you what's harder. Claiming to be a Christian and living a life that's empty and unfulfilling, which isn't sincere to our relationship with Christ, that's harder. Paul said, I count everything but rubbish that I might gain Christ and know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. So how about a Christian? How about it? We've been talking about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. Will you, will you go further? Will you go deeper? Will you give more? Will you share more? Will you care more? Will you look at your salvation and rejoice in Jesus Christ to the place where you're actually sharing him with others? If you're here and you don't know Jesus, the truth is, is that that judgment, it's going to happen. I don't know when. It's not up for me. But God didn't write the Bible just so you would know you'd be condemned one day by Christ. He wrote the Bible so that we would know how much he loves us, so that we could repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. If God is speaking to your heart today, why not say, thank you, Lord, for giving your life for me. I know I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me of my sins and will you be my Savior? I'm going to live for you, but will you walk with me while I do it? Why not do that? If you do that today, if you mean that with all your heart today, God will save you. He'll transform your life. Oh, yeah, you'll get to be a part of us doing our best to share Jesus in this world, and maybe you'll get some persecution because of it. Let's not lie. But that's life. That's joy. That's peace. That's hope. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm thankful for your word. I'm grateful for your mercy. I'm grateful for Jesus. I'm grateful for your word that reveals truth to us, even reminding us of judgment. 
And I'm so thankful, Lord, that not one person here has to end up in hell. You've made a way for all to come to repentance, and that's what you desire. I pray that you would save today. The people would be saved today. And I pray for your church that we would be strong and loving and compassionate, and we would share the word of God with those who are lost, that you, Lord God, might save them and that you might be glorified. Have your way in us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing this last song. Our pastors will be down front. If you've never trusted Christ and you would like to, come talk to one of us. Let us share how that works. Maybe you trusted Christ today and you need to come down front and tell everybody, man, I've I've trusted Jesus. I'm not ashamed. Maybe you just need us to pray with you. Whatever that might be, just respond to Christ today. love you. Thank you for loving us. Lord, keep doing a work in us. We need you. I pray for our city that you'd bring people to Christ, to salvation, hope, life, to the security of having you with us day in and day out and the eternal hope of one day being in your presence, Lord God. Thank you for these men and women, these boys and girls. May you bless them richly. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.